Lonely song, the songs for you. Over the years, I'm sure you've heard me say a number of times, we don't have relationships, we have entanglements. And I'm sure that after hearing it so many times, it's like Muzak, it's like elevator music. You kind of hear it, and when you do it, maybe even a little annoying. And then sometimes it's just kind of pleasant, but it acts to put you to sleep instead of wake you up now. And we don't want that. We misunderstand the space of relationship, believing we have relationships with some people. Well, I have a relationship with you, and I'm, well, I don't have a relationship with him. I have a relationship with her, but I don't have a relationship with her. Because we're part of the organic film that coats planet Earth, we're in relationship to everything in the universe. I would like to talk about that a little bit because you hear the words and you go, yes, I know that. It's like a number. Someone tells you a number. The national debt is this number. And it doesn't make a lot of sense. It's just a number. And you know, wow, that's a big number. But you have no clue what that is, really. And then someone tells you, well, if you lined ping pong balls up, they would stretch out from here to the sun and back again 2,000 times. Oh, I don't understand that either. But then if you say, well, if you had a ping pong ball for every dollar of the national debt, it would fill up Texas or something like that. Oh, you start to visualize it. You start to see it. And so I'd like to talk about being part of the organic film that coats planet Earth and our relationship to everything on this Earth, every living thing, everything. This organic soup, this film that coats the planet, receives energy from other beings, that is, planets, stars. It receives energy. Uh, this sounds a little crazy. Other beings. It was, well, he, now he's talking about other beings. Yes, I am talking about other beings. I'm talking about the stars as beings, that our sun is a star. It is a being. And its light, its rays, its energy is being transmitted to us. And we are receiving it through this organic film that coats the planet. And it brings life and warmth and light to us. And it makes photosynthesis possible, which makes life possible for all of us. And it's all connected. It's all in this huge relationship. And that star that we call our sun is related to other stars in our galaxy. And our galaxy is related to other galaxies in the universe. And our universe is related to other universes in the big universe that we don't know all there is. We know very little, really of what's so. But to start to get the idea about this relationship, it's not just a relationship with every living thing from the smallest, most insignificant creature. What did we talk about last night at dinner, Rex? You were talking about... Minerals. No, you were talking about intelligence. Yeah. And I said, the problem is, what we fail to understand is that we say, well, rock is not intelligent. Really? Try being a rock. Go ahead. If you think you're so smart, let me see you be a rock. Well, you can't do it. You're not organized properly. You have a higher organization. But every cell, every bit of matter in this universe, whether it's a cell, whether it's an atom, whether it's a particle of an atom, the nucleus or the proton or the neutron, whatever it is, it has an intelligence because it was created out of intelligent substance. The only difference is the organization. That's all. So either the organization of the rock or whatever it is, is very limited or it's more organized. And when something is more organized, we call it more intelligent because we are so highly organized compared to a rock or compared to a leaf. We look at them as they're not intelligent. This is a mistake because we came from that. 
that is part of us. We don't understand that, but we can be highly organized and still not have understanding. You can have intelligence and still not use it properly to understand. And man is a perfect example of that on this planet. The highest form of intelligence that we know about. But how could we know of any higher form of intelligence? Our self-love would never allow us to see it. So here we are, highly intelligent, but understanding almost nothing, and certainly not understanding ourselves at all. If we did understand ourselves, would we be different? Yes. What you can understand, you can control. Because you can't understand your emotions, you can't control them. You don't know where they come from. You don't know how they get there. You don't know how they arise. You don't know how to stop them. You don't know how to stop negative emotions because you don't understand where they come from. You don't understand how they're connections that have been made that are not proper connections. And they fire off so quickly that you don't know how to deal with it. This is a lack of understanding, not a lack of intelligence. We have the intelligence. We don't have the understanding because we have not applied our intelligence in the right way and in the right place. We've not applied our intelligence to understanding ourselves. And so here we are in this relationship with the entire universe. Now, relationship is the way in which two or more concepts, objects, or people are connected, or the state of being connected. So it's all connected, but we don't know about it. You're connected to everything else on this planet, every bit of organic life on this planet. You are connected to that. You share 98% or 97.8% of your DNA is the same DNA as a tree. You share that, but you don't know that unless someone tells you, and you still don't know it. Not really. You think, well, how can that be? And then someone could explain it to you. But it's all theory because we don't understand it because we haven't applied our intelligence in the right way. We've limited our understanding with our intelligence instead of using our intelligence to broaden our understanding. How is it we have this relationship and are almost completely unaware of it nearly all the time? You walk this earth too proudly. You destroy with impunity. You open your mouth and you spew out fresh water and salt water, bitter water. You curse and bless with the same tongue. This is a lack of understanding. This is a lack of integrity. This is a lack of wholeness. You say you love and then you hate. You say you hate and then you love. This is the contradiction that comes from not understanding. Esoteric teachings tell us that we're asleep. We've heard that so often now we go, yeah, yeah, we are. we're asleep. It tells us that our ordinary state of consciousness, the second state of consciousness, is really waking sleep. That the only difference between this sleep and sleep on the bed is that the moving center is active now. We don't believe that. We say, well, that's not true. I know that I'm sitting here, but when I'm in bed, I don't know that I'm lying there in bed asleep. No, that's true. There are different levels of sleep. There's deeper sleep and deeper sleep and deeper sleep than that. To tell a man who is convinced that he can do, that he has will, that he has full consciousness, that he has a real permanent eye, to tell him that all of that is an illusion will be taken as the most defensive thing that he could possibly hear. Think back to when someone told you you couldn't do, that you were asleep, that you had no will, that you're a fiction, you're not even a real person, you're a fiction. It's still a little offensive, isn't it? As many times as you've heard it, it's still a little offensive. There's something in us, the self-love, that is offended, as we are. We're entangled. So obviously I'm drawing a simile between relationship and entanglement. Entangled. Caused to become twisted together with or caught in. So we are entangled in life's sticky web. Life catches us every time we touch something in it because it's a web of A influences. We know that A influences are the influences that come to us from life. B influences are the influences that come from C influences, but as they pass into life and as we misunderstand them, they turn into B influences. So they're not pure C influences anymore, which come from higher, which come from the conscious circle of humanity. And that's just what we call beings who have awakened, not like us, beings who have actually awakened, become fully conscious. 
they understand something that we don't understand. They see something that we don't see. They know something that we don't know. And because we can't see them with our physical eyes, or we couldn't recognize them if we saw them with our physical eyes, the sense mind finds it very difficult to believe in them, to believe that anything is possible that can't be seen. You've overridden your sense mind in certain areas. You know the world's not flat now. You know that the sun isn't going around the earth. So you know these things now. You understand these things now. Your sense mind still tells you the sun rises and the sun sets. It crosses the sky. When it doesn't at all, it's just us turning. Good or bad, whatever we touch ensnares us in this merciless web. And once you're entangled in a web, the more you struggle, the worse it gets, especially if you don't know how to struggle. If you wish to be a doctor or a lawyer or an Indian chief, it doesn't matter. Saints and sinners alike are all drawn up in life's dragnet. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 47, it's written, The kingdom of heaven is like a dragnet cast into the sea, gathering fish of every kind. When it's filled, they draw it up on the beach, and they sat down and gathered the good fish into containers, but the bad they threw away. The kingdom of heaven, this higher state that is possible to man, the state of expanded awareness, the state of consciousness that raises our level of being, the possibility of transformation from these skulking little mole people, machine people, scurrying around in darkness, bumping into each other, and doing all kinds of destructive things to one another, we could actually be transformed into a higher form of being, a being that was awake and could see, not to destroy other beings, not to be out of harmony with all of life. To us, this appears like the worst injustice. We're all caught in this dragnet, good and bad, doesn't matter. The saints and the sinners, doesn't matter. No matter what you wish to be, no matter how great your goal is, it's going to catch you. Life is going to catch you in it. It's going to snag you. What worse injustice could that be? Well, I shouldn't be snagged by life. Life should help me because I want to do good things, right? There's so many traps in life. Who then can be saved is what the disciples finally said. When Jesus started to lay out to them what it was like, they said, who then can be saved? He said, it's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom. Well, who then can be saved, they asked. We fail to understand that we have to be caught or we learn nothing about life. This is all part of the process. Being caught in this great dragnet, being caught by life, is part of the process. That's our opportunity to grow. That's our opportunity to develop. We must realize that the object of life is to keep us asleep, to prevent us from awakening, to prevent us from escaping, in the same way that the object of the warden and the guards and the bars and the walls and the barbed wire is to keep the prisoners in prison. Well, why would we want to do that? Well, because we're making a lot of money from the license plates. No, well, we're not, but life is. Life is making a lot Life is profiting from keeping us in prison. And so it behooves life to keep us asleep, to keep this process going. Now, Gurdjieff's thing was that it's not possible for everyone to escape, but it is possible for a few. But if all the prisoners tried to escape at once, they could never do it. But if just a few escape, then they can get away. But it's getting to the point that even fewer and fewer can escape now. That a little group like this can attract attention. It's just, well, we would have never believed it. We would just think, this is just, that's just hilarious. In fact, we laugh about it a lot. It's a huge joke to us. Who would bother with us? And yet, we have attracted the attention of life, the guards, the warden, who wish to keep everything locked down, doesn't want anyone escaping, close the doors, block up the walls, fill the tunnels. Life is changing constantly, and we're like a mesmerized audience 
The China ping pong is huge. And if you've ever seen a Chinese ping pong match, it's really funny. They'll show the audience, and the audience is watching, and their heads are going back and forth, back and forth with the ping pong ball. Boom, 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 boom. And we're like that. We're like an audience that's been mesmerized at a ping pong match. And life is just dragging our heads back and forth, back and forth with all these changes constantly, this way and that way. I got a message this morning from someone. I woke up on the happy side of the pendulum this morning. And I think that's brilliant. Someone knows if you woke up on the happy side of the pendulum, you'll probably go to sleep tonight on the sad side of the pendulum. Because second force is there. And if the pendulum is swinging this way, it's going to swing the other way. It's just a matter of time. But we say, no, not this time. Yes, this time too and the next time, and the next time, and the next time, until you begin to minimize the swing with awareness. And that is not easy, because it takes awareness. And in the event that you had not observed yourself recently, okay, let's just take as an example my bed the other day. I was making a green smoothie. We have these little green potholders. It's just like little Muppet things, you know? It just you slip your fingers into and your thumb into, and it's just a little tiny thing, about seven inches long and three and a half or four inches wide. And Connie picked them up somewhere, and they're flexible, so they're very easy to use, and you can pick lids up and things like that. You know, the other big potholders, you try and crunch them, and they just don't crunch well. You try and pick up a lid, and it just doesn't do well. These were nice and flexible, and they really did the job well. I was making my green smoothie, and I got everything in there, and I put it in the Vita Prep and turned it on, and it started to go just fine. Then all of a sudden, the whole Vita Prep starts walking across the counter with this noise. <laughs> I turned it off. What the heck? Reached down there, and I think, okay, something's stuck on the blades. And I figure it's greens because that's what I put in there, greens. Well, I emptied out the whole thing. I just couldn't get it to work. Emptied out the whole thing. Well, the blades had been caught in one of these little pot holders. Don't ask me how it got in there. I have no clue. It was green. The greens were green. Maybe I had it on my hand when I put the green. I have no idea. I'd love to be able to say, well, the cat did it or Connie did it, but Connie wasn't there. She was, she was still in bed. So my green smoothie was pretty much ruined with all that polyester mixed into it. But I thought about it for a moment. And I thought, you know, here it is. You know, the great cult leader is asleep. I thought, yeah, I can't even make a green smoothie. How is it that I control all these people's minds? It's just astounding to me. And then I realized, well, you know, this is it. We imagine that we're awake. I mean, we really do. We imagine that we're conscious. I felt like I was conscious. And now as I look back on it, I see that I was as mechanical as I can be. And let's face it, preparing food. How many times have I told you, we get around food, we go to sleep. I just didn't mean to prove it, that's all. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean you. Yeah, I mean you should prove it. But I'm the one who's saying it, so usually I'm a little bit more aware of it. But you know, I was all by myself in the kitchen. There was no one else there, and I went to sleep. And I did not wake up until that Vita Prep was walking across the counter with all that noise. And I, what's going on here? Well, this isn't right. This isn't the way it usually works. That's I'm telling you. That's what it was like. And I woke up. You know, I woke up to the fact that I was asleep. Isn't that what waking up is? How you know you wake up is you realize you're asleep. That's the beginning of awakening. I'm asleep. I'm a sleeping machine. The object of life is to keep us asleep, prevent us from ever awakening. And it does a pretty good job of that. But the work does a better job of waking us. Esoteric teachings do a better job of waking us than life does of keeping us asleep if we allow these teachings to enter into us, if we allow them a space in us, if we give them a little bit of room to move inside of ourselves, if we'll rent the esoteric teachings a little area inside of ourselves they'll start to expand. They'll start to awaken us. And they make a racket, just like the Vita Prep walking across the counter. 
So here we are, constantly mesmerized like these audiences at a ping-pong match, watching the ball go back and forth. And here I was, doing this. We're so sure we can do. We're so sure that we're right. We know more than anyone else about something or other. And so, we're entangled in life's net. We're caught because we're sure we're right. We're sure we can do. We're sure we're awake. That is a sure sign of being entangled. Our lack of discernment makes us so suggestible. Look at the storage units all over the country filled with our lack of discernment, what we had to have. And now somebody got a great idea. Hey, look, these idiots can't throw this stuff away. There aren't enough landfills for the junk that they bought that they won't use now. Let's build storage areas. We won't have to do anything. Put a light bulb in it, put a door on it, a lock, and we'll rent it to them. They can take all their stuff that they're never going to use. They can hide it in this dark place, turn the light out, and come and visit it once a year when they come to put more stuff in it. And then they'll just fill it up, and then we'll have bigger ones. They can just move their stuff into a bigger one. And that's us. And that is a lack of discernment. Are you feeling despondent today? Then let someone tell you how wonderful you are. Just the suggestion will alter your inner state. You feeling great today? Let someone come along and say, Are you okay? You really don't look well. What happened to your hair? Pat, you didn't get your hair cut like that, did you? I mean, that was a mistake, right? Poor Pat. You know, if you didn't sit right in front of me, that might be it. You notice Tammy doesn't do that. Tammy sits over to the side, you know. She knows how to keep a low profile. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It doesn't matter. We're so suggestible. We lack any insulation from life's events because we lack a center of gravity. And so we can't select what we will keep, what we will throw away. And the storage units are a perfect example of that, aren't they? Can't decide what to keep and what to throw away, so we put it in storage. Until when? Until we need it or until we don't have the money for the storage unit again and they sell it. And how many times does that happen? I think there's actually a show on TV now where these people go and they buy these storage units unseen. And then they, they open them up because people just forfeited and left all their stuff. They open them up and then they see they all bid. They get these guys together and they bid on a storage unit. And they open up the storage unit and whoever won gets everything that's inside of it. Sometimes they win, sometimes they lose. Sometimes they come out ahead, sometimes they come out behind. It's other people's chunk. It's just hilarious when you think about it. All of this is life having us completely entangled, caught, twisted up in this web, in this net, in this dragnet. And we're stuck in it. And what are we doing? We're pretending it's a hammock. And we're swinging back and forth. Oh, this is so wonderful. Like on the pendulum, we're swinging back and forth. Wee, wee, wee. Oh, I'm so happy. Oh, I'm so sad. Oh, I'm so happy. Oh, life is so wonderful. Oh, life really sucks. Back and forth on this hammock. And life constantly changing, rocking us back and forth in this hammock, this net that we've caught ourselves in, that we've become attached to. This is being suggestible. To be hypnotized, entangled in life's net, is very different. You can resist suggestibility. You don't have to buy this or that when you see the advertisement for it. You're standing in line at the grocery store, and you look, and you see these magazines and gum and this, and they're putting more and more stuff there because they know that you're waiting in line. You need something to do. So what are they going to do? Well, they're going to take every opportunity to sell you that one. Do you need lip balm? How about some Tic Tacs? What about this magazine? Oh, look, uh, Princess so-and-so grew another head. Oh, buy that magazine, you know. Oh, let's find out who she's making love with this week. Well, she's dead. Oh, that's okay. She's making love in the spirit world with some king or some prince or, you know, whatever. And we buy it. You know, people, I watched people pick these things up. Oh, yes. And they start reading them. They get the, the cash register and they can't put it down, so they buy it. They think, oh, yeah. But you see, you don't have to. I know that's true because I've seen people who look at them and just go, mm-hmm, and walk right on by. So we're suggestible, but we don't have to do it. We have some resistance. Life's hypnotic web is very different. We're so utterly convinced of some things about ourselves that it's fair to say we're hypnotized. 
Well, let me just give you an example of what it means to be hypnotized. Have you ever seen anyone hypnotized? Yeah, they have shows in Las Vegas, really hypnotized, where they'll hypnotize someone and then they'll say, okay, in two minutes after you wake up, you're going to crow like a rooster. And the person wakes up, hey, big, strong guy, you know, get up there and hypnotized, big Steve type, you know. And then two minutes later, right on cue, exactly, he crows like a rooster. And the guy will say, well, why'd you do that? Well, I don't know, because he was hypnotized. Now, they say that you can't be forced to do anything when you're hypnotized that you wouldn't do, actually do. And that's probably true. Life's hypnotism is about the same way. You don't know why you're doing what you're doing. Someone asks you, well, why'd you do that? Well, I don't know. Why did you put that potholder in your green smoothie? Well, I didn't know I did it. I don't know. Well, what, were you asleep? Yeah, I guess I was. I, you hypnotized? I guess so. What else can I say? What other reason can I give? I can't give any other reason. I was mesmerized by the activity. Put this in, put that in, get this, get that. Do it, put it in order, just like I always do, layer it. And How did that get in there? I don't know. Why don't I know? Why can't I remember? Because I was asleep. I was in the second state of consciousness, waking sleep. The moving center was active, but it was just like I was sound asleep on the bed. How is that possible? I don't know. All I know is that that's what happened. Why are you telling people about it? Do you want them to think you're an idiot? I don't care what they think. I am an idiot. But you're supposed to be a great spiritual teacher. Who told you that? You never heard that from me. I've never advertised myself as a spiritual teacher, a teacher, anything. That's something someone else made up, something you made up, something that you use to salve your conscience or do whatever it is you do. No, I'm just like I've always said, look, I'm just some guy trying to find my way. And I'm sharing my difficulties and my triumphs, my failures with other people in the hope that they will be encouraged to walk this path, to wake up to try, to struggle, to dig into esoteric teachings and to apply them in their own lives. That's what I'm interested in. Am I always awake? No. Am I ever awake? That's really questionable. I don't know what awake is. Do I have moments of Satori? Yes. Have I had moments in my life of what we call cosmic consciousness? Absolutely. Being completely aware of my oneness with all life? Yes, I have. How long did they last? Not long. And now I'm back here in this demon-possessed valley after the Mount of Transfiguration all that light, and then you have to come back down into this darkness, because this is where we get caught, because this is where we need to work. You don't get anything done on the mountaintop. You just shine. But down here, we've got work to do. Life deliberately entangles us so that it can keep us in this state of waking sleep, where our force can be harvested and used for life's purposes. Life has invested a body in us. It has given us the substance for a body so that our spirits can inhabit it. Our spirits are the powerhouses. Our spirit is what gives life to the body. Life has given us the material to build it. It's invested in us. And now it wants a return on its investment. And it's not willing to let us go until it gets what it wants. So it drains our force, keeps us enslaved. I've yet to find a way for people to escape this without help from above our level of being, without us making the Herculean effort demanded by proper self-observation. No one's going to get you out of this. You must make this Herculean effort of self-observation. You've got to look at yourself. And you can't just look at the nice things. You've got to look at all of it. You can't just tell the good stories. You've got to tell the stories about how you fell asleep and put the potholder in the blender. You've got to face it. You've got to admit the truth. Yes, I sleep. My ordinary state is the second state of consciousness, waking sleep. Ouch! You feel that sting? That's pride stinging you. That's pride stinging me. But I don't have any pride. <laughs> I'm humble. I, I know my nothingness. Mm -hmm. In your sleep, you're humble and you know your nothingness. But when you're awake, you see your pride. You start to see it. And when you see it, it's like, oh, 
man, this is gruesome. No wonder people don't want to observe themselves. No wonder they want to spend all their time observing someone else or other people. No wonder they target other people. It makes sense when you think about it. It keeps the light off of yourself, where it really could do some harm. You turn the light on me, I just look at it and go, well, you're right. You turn the light on yourself, you go crazy. That's why we don't turn the light on ourselves. We can't tolerate our contradictions. The work is very clear on that. If all of your contradictions were exposed, if all of your buffers were removed, and you could see all of your contradictions all at once, you would go insane. Now, I've never seen that happen. But boy, I've seen just a few contradictions collide, and people have gone pretty crazy. So all of them, I, I can believe you would go completely insane. That's not a stretch for me. If we work and see our state, we're a bit less entangled in life's dragnet, in life's web, in the hypnotism. If we work, escape from the entanglement begins with the application of esoteric ideas to ourselves, to ourselves. Yet all the while, we apply them to others in harsh, merciless judgments because we're dominated by self-emotions. All of humanity is under life's hypnotism. Gurdjieff said, the hypnotic power of life is so terrible that we have to think of strong antidotes to wake people up from this hypnotism. The tragedy of life is that most people are so fixed in turning outward through the five senses fixed on others and what's wrong with them. They fail to see their own houses on fire. I was reading this esoteric pearl, enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. For those of you interested, that's in Matthew as well, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And that left me writing in an email the amazement at how they gladly, gleefully travel that way stuns me into silent tears. When I look at people charging down that broad way, it literally sometimes just stuns me to tears. It's so tragic. But then you have to look at the whole thing. Strong medicine will not be tolerated by those who need it the most. It just won't be. And so Gurdjieff was right when he said, the hypnotic power of life is so terrible that we have to think of strong antidotes to wake people up from this hypnotism. But strong antidotes, strong medicine will not be tolerated. People don't have to take that. They can get up and walk away. They can turn it off. They can turn on the doctor. They can turn on the healer. Like a dog, you take a dog to the vet, a dog that's been hurt. The first thing they do is they tie its mouth shut. They put a muzzle on it. They put some kind of elastic thing on his mouth so he can't bite the doctor. The doctor, the veterinarian's trying to help him, but the dog doesn't know that. All the dog knows is it's, it's in pain and it wants the pain to stop. And so it tries to bite whatever it is that it thinks is causing the pain. And it thinks that it's the doctor that's helping it that's causing the pain. And this is why Gurdjieff said we die like dogs. Because we try to bite the hand that tries to heal us. This is tragic. Strong medicine won't be tolerated. Yet, if you're chosen, if you find the small gate and are able to bend down to enter it, you could have the miraculous realization you are not what you took yourself to be. And the miraculous realization is not pleasant. The miraculous realization that I put the potholder in the green smoothie was not a lot of fun, but it was a miraculous realization. Because anytime we wake up at all, it's a miraculous realization. If you come to see that you are so very different from your self-meritoriousness, your pictures of yourself as a generous, kind, good, wonderful person, if that happens, if you come to see that, you will begin to wake up from this hypnotic sleep. It's inevitable. Morris Nichols said, The conscious circle of humanity is always trying to wake us up from this hypnotic sleep. I love this. I love this so much I want to read it again. The conscious circle of humanity is always trying to wake us up from this hypnotic sleep. I don't give you much rest. 
and I'm not even in the conscious circle of humanity. I go the extra mile with you, and I'm not even in the conscious circle of humanity. I'm still here with you in the mechanical circle of humanity, the sleeping circle of humanity. Yet we can be a little more awake or a little more asleep. There are levels even here in this, levels of sleep, levels of awakeness, levels of awareness. What other hope do we have of being disentangled from life's merciless, sticky web than constantly receiving the influences from those who have awakened, whose love is so powerful, whose light is so bright, that they are unwilling to leave us stuck in this entanglement, in this web of hypnotism in life. That is the truth of esotericism. That is the goodness that this teaching leads to. And if it doesn't lead to that, then it's not being properly applied. But it has to lead to that goodness, where you are unwilling to see another being entangled in that mess and stay asleep, that you will do whatever it takes to wake yourself up and then to help others. You are the best and better.